0: Beloved in the Lord Jesus Christ, to stand before you as your minister, to herald the word of God to you, to preach the word of God to you, and this morning we look at verses 1 and 2 of chapter 16, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant of the church at Crinche, and you may, that you may welcome her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints, and help her in whatever she may need of you, for she has been a patron of many, and of myself as well. One fault line in our human existence, one of the ways in which humanity tends to break apart and fight, is between males and females, between men and women, and that's the case all the way back. Men and women getting along have been a problem all the way back, we can say all the way back to the garden, particularly to the garden after the fall. We see that God is part of the curse. There's something between uh, men and women, or at least the husband and wife, and struggles that go on there. And as it's developed through the years into our own day, we find ourselves in interesting times, very interesting times as far as what we might say gender relations or relations of the sexes. Even here very recently, this past week, I think, or maybe last week, uh, the Southern Baptist Convention uh, got some infamous, infamous coverage by most of the news that I saw. Uh, talking about they're unwilling to receive women ministers and such, and even Saddleback Church, the Big Daddy, uh, was denied uh, entrance or right back into the convention uh, because of their ordaining women and having women as ministers, which, of course, the Southern Baptist Convention has always been against. They know the scriptures are clear, and they've, they've made statements on that and are, are deciding their, their way ahead, even to the point of cutting out of their denomination or not welcoming back in or however it actually works, I'm not sure, in the convention one of the biggest churches in the world, one of the most influential churches in the world. They say, well, if you're not going to do it faithfully, you're not going to do it according to what the Scripture explicitly says, then you can't be a part of this. Well Praise God for them. and may God bless them for their stand as that goes. The impact of the sexual revolution in the modern times here, coming out of the 1960s and beyond that, has had a leveling impulse in the church. In the ministry of the church. And it's not just feminism, though we can talk about you know, the feminism of the 60s, and we can certainly talk about the feminism before that as well, even out of the 19th century, has had an impact on the church. But feminism is one part of it. Another part of it this confluence is what we call egalitarianism. Egalitarianism is based on the word that means equal, and it's a leveling doctrine, to be sure. Uh, everyone is equal, and you say, well, in, in, in what ways? Well, that's up to your imagination when it comes down to it, with egalitarianism. So egalitarianism and feminism have impacted the Church's thinking and the Church's practice in the modern Western world. It's undeniable. It's as clear looking at it as it is to to look at anything and discern the dust purple and that's white. It's a different ministry, it's a different time in the modern world in the West than it has been all these hundreds of years as this Church has read the Scriptures and tried to be obedient in varying degrees to the Scriptures. I just read a tasty little quote, short one, from Karl Barth, which I can paraphrase anyway, which says, the the history of the church is the history of the exegesis of the scripture. The history of the church is the history of the church grappling with and trying to understand the scripture. And so I think that's a glorious thing. We should recognize our spot, Christians, our spot in our time in the history of the church, and be faithful in our time. And it's not easy. Just ask the Southern Baptist Convention. Now, there are ways in which males and females, men and women, boys and girls, are all equal. The this, this, this scripture in hand and, and, and church history in the back pocket. And we can say at least three significant ways that men and women and boys and girls were all equal. No distinction at that point, which is we were all created in the image of God, male and female created He them in His image. We're all fallen in Adam. In Adam's fall, we sinned all. And also, Jesus Christ is the great redeemer of men and women and boys and girls. And in that redemption, we, we share fully in Christ as our head. So in those three not minor ways, creation, corruption, and restoration, we see there is an equality among men and women. That's important for us. That's important for us to articulate, uh, because I think sometimes it's easy for us to be demonized or characterized as those uh, because we believe that there are different designations for men and women and ministry and family and so on that uh, we're women haters, we're misogynists, or something along those lines. And I just offer, if that comes up in conversation, so come, come meet our women. See if you think they're a bunch of battered down, kicked to the curb, ladies that have no energy and no leadership and no charisma. It doesn't take very long to be around and say, that's not it. Maybe they're maybe they're mis- misunderstanding or believing a lie. What I want to do is read a few passages that I think put this in a very clear uh we give some categories and some parameters and they are clear for the Christian in ministry and in the home and so on, uh, and then move on to consider Phoebe. So this may take a little bit of time to read these, but I think it's worth doing so that we hear we're not making this up, right? Christians aren't just making up and you'll say, oh, these women, these women, they shouldn't be in the pulpit or they shouldn't be in ordained ministry uh, because we really don't like women. It's all about men, rah, 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 band of boys and whatever else. It, I think it's easy to, again, be character, uh, characterized that way. But when you read these passages in Scripture, you'll think, oh, okay, well, here's some parameters that the Bible clearly sets down as far as men and women in the church um, and in ministry. So first is from 1 Corinthians chapter 11, everyone's favorite passage at the end of the chapter. No one reads the beginning of the chapter. And that's actually one thing as I read this (coughs) that I think is the most interesting, and it happens in a lot of theological debate, that vast tracts of Scripture are simply Ignored just ignored right and if they come up it's like oh it's confusing we don't know and it's cultural or these different things come up but basically they're ignored and i, I mentioned that as we were going through romans chapter nine uh the sovereignty of god and election and salvation that there are great tracts of scripture that are simply ignored when it comes to that doctrine so people can hold on to their theology and thought without being interfered with uh, by the scripture we don't want that okay we don't want that if that's in our hearts and it is in our hearts I think we all have that in different degrees. It's something we need to repent of and say, Lord, show me what's in front of me. Show me who I am. Show me what I need to do. I'll believe what you say. Okay, and so let's believe what God says as we read these. What are challenging passages, particularly in the modern world? Right? For us, they're harder to hear and understand than probably most generations of, of Christians that have come by. The beginning of chapter 11. Now, I commend to you. A because, uh, because you remember me in everything and maintain the traditions even as I delivered them to you. In other words, this is something Paul set up in the church. The every church by church as he went, this is how he set things up. Verse 3. But I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ. The head of a wife is her husband. And the head of Christ is God. Every man who prays or prophesies with his head covered dishonors his head. But every wife who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head, since it is the same as if her head were shaven. For if a wife will not cover her head, then she should cut her hair short. But since it is disgraceful for a wife to cut off her hair or shave her head, let her cover her head. For a man ought not to cover his head, since he is the image and glory of God, but the woman is the glory of man. For a man was not made from woman, but woman from man." Neither was man created for woman, but woman for man. That is why a wife ought to have a symbol of authority on her head because of the angels. Nevertheless, in the Lord, woman is not independent of man, nor man of woman. For as woman was made from man, so man is now born of woman, and all things are from God. Judge for yourselves. Is it proper for a wife to pray to God with her head uncovered? Does not nature itself teach you that if a man wears long hair, it is a disgrace to him? But if a woman has long hair, it is her glory? For her hair is given to her for a covering. If anyone is inclined to be contentious, we have no such practice, nor do the churches of God. Just in the reading, just a quick comment. You can see that Paul is laying out a created order of divinity and humanity humanity as man, and then as wife, as, as man and woman, or as husband and wife, and then says, well, that's, that's the case, and it's the case here in worship, as, as far as how the, the conduct of worship goes, but we're not independent of each other, we're still bound in this thing together, women and men, that's kind of natural reality, so Paul kind of brings that together there. So this is about men and women uh, in life, right? How, how God's made the structure of, of creation, and also in worship. If you go a couple chapters further... In chapter 14, there are a few verses here as well about Christian worship and instruction. Chapter 14, starting at verse 34. Here we have: it. As in all the churches of the saints, the women should keep silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak, but should be in submission, as the law also says. If there is anything they desire to learn, let them ask their husbands at home, for it is shameful for a woman to speak in the church. Or was it from you that the word of God came? Or are you the only ones it has reached? If anyone thinks that he is a prophet or spiritual, he should acknowledge that the things I am writing to you, he should acknowledge that the things I am writing to you and commend, um, are a command of the Lord. If anyone does not recognize this, he is not recognized. So, my brothers, earnestly desire to prophesy and do not forbid speaking in tongues, but all things should be done decently and in order. So here is the broader passage of spiritual gifts and of worship and of the function of gifts in worship, of prophecy and tongues, which, of course, I'm not going to get into this morning, but then also here, in that context, that women should be quiet. should be quiet in the worship. It's fitting and it's improper for them uh, to be speaking up or boisterous or something going on like that in worship. Uh, Paul doesn't seem to have any problem putting that down for the churches, and again, this is, a, is practice in the churches. Turn to 1 Timothy chapter 2. And I think, again, in the context of the public worship of the church is what's going on, the lifting of hands and prayer and so on. Verse 8. I desire, then, that in every place the men should pray, lifting up holy hands without anger or quarreling. Likewise, also, that women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel with modesty and self-control, not with braided hair and gold and pearl or pearls or costly attire, but with what is proper for women who profess godliness, with good works. Let a woman learn quietly and in submissiveness. I do not permit a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. For Adam was formed first, then Eve, and Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. Yet she will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith and love and holiness with self-control. So again, not necessarily an easy passage to interpret or understand, but clear enough in the point that... Uh, uh, as, as the church gets together to pray, that the women should be quiet and they should conduct themselves as women. That there are, there are womanly things that women should be aiming at that aren't the same as, as manly things that men should be aiming at. And then the next, just to chapter 3, the next verse, I'll read this as the last section here, requirements for church offices. So, uh, we're not, and this is really kind of putting the fine point on what I'm getting at is the offices in the church when someone's ordained to ministry in the church. Not when people minister and work and use the skills and gifts they have and bless each other and do things as we'll talk about with Phoebe, but the ordained ministry of the church. Who are the officers of the church of Jesus Christ? And here we have one, and of course Titus 1 is another passage that says something very, very similar. The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of an overseer, that is a bishop, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach the husband of one wife... There you go, right there. Which literally is a one-woman man. A man of one woman. Okay, which would mean Well, what if he has two women? What if he's a bigamist? What if the gospel came to an area... This happens from time to time. The gospel comes to an area where polygamy is practiced and the man has three, four, five, ten, twenty wives. Two. Doesn't matter. More than one. And say, well, that's fine. You're not going to divorce those wives. You're still going to take care of them. But you're disqualified from fellowship. You cannot be an overseer because this is the passage. And it's a one-woman man... Not a one spouse spouse if you want to put it in general or generic terms. It's a one woman man that mentioned here. Let's keep going. He must be the husband of one wife, sober minded, self controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive, for if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? And again, we have here a reference to the management and shape of authority in the household, which is another thing that's very clear in the scripture as well. I'll stop reading here. We can go on and, and, and see that the more is said. But I think there's enough going on, at least as far as all this reading goes, to begin with. to see, yeah, there's, there's, there, there is this equality among men and women, boys and girls, in a sense we're all created in the image of God, we're all fallen in Adam, and we're all, as we believe in Christ Jesus, redeemed in him. We share that entirely, Uh, but then as it comes down to men and women and what God's created them for and how he's created them, they're not exactly the same. We have differences, and that's an important part as we read the Bible to recognize both the differences and the similarities, and not just focus on one or the other. So in relatively short fashion here, we'll consider Phoebe, uh, point one, Phoebe as a servant. Now we'll get back to Romans chapter 16. So Paul commends to the church. As say, he's, he's writing to say, I, I want you to receive her. I want you to help, help Phoebe as she comes. I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant of the church at Crenche. And I'm not quite sure how to pronounce the word uh, Crenche, but it's, a, it's the port city. Of uh, Corinth. So Corinth, the great city, has a port city named Crenshae, and Paul, and the book of Acts mentions that Paul had cut his hair there on one of his missionary journeys. So a, there's a church there, and, and Phoebe was from that church, and she was a servant, a servant of the church. So the word is diakonos, from which we get deacon. Okay, we get the word deacon, which fundamentally means servant, uh, and even as we talk about the office of a deacon, uh, we're talking about the office of one who's called to serve who's called to serve, if we go back to to Acts, to serve the table, to help the people, to serve the the, the food, while the apostles committed themselves to prayer and the word. So there's that service aspect kind of to the word as it it comes across. There are two basic meanings to this word, kind of two fundamental meanings that cover it. The first is diakonos, a, a servant, or minister. It's also The word is also minister, and you'll hear why. One who serves as an intermediary in a transaction an agent, an intermediary, a courier. Right? So someone who is, is uh, given the authority by somebody else to act on their behalf, to conduct a transaction on their behalf, to carry something for them, to be a worker for them, an agent. Okay, so someone who works for somebody else. So, the, so Phoebe, being a, a, a deacon or a deaconess, or a de, uh, anyway, if nothing else, a servant, she's one who is on behalf of Christ Jesus serving others. She's acting on behalf of Jesus now, if we look at the way this word is used uh, j- just this way, and I'll just read them to you quickly. In 1 Corinthians, I'm sorry, in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, we had the same word uh, used to Paul and his companions, which really is talking about a slavish and suffering agent of God. Here Paul says, we put no obstacle in anyone's way so that no fault may be found with our ministry. But as servants, there's the word of God, we commend ourselves in every way. By great endurance and afflictions and hardships and calamities, beatings, imprisonments, riots, labors, sleepless nights, hunger, and so on, Paul says that's our service, that's our ministry to God, is to suffer all this stuff for the sake of Christ. They're agents of Christ to suffer, uh, as the gospel goes. Also, we know from Romans 13, something we've been through relatively recently, that the civil magistrate himself is a deacon, diak- diakonos of God. Same same word here is verse of chapter 13, for he, that's the civil magistrate, is God's servant, that's your word for is good, but if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain, for he is God's servant, an avenger who carries God's wrath on the wrongdoer. So we can see the civil magistrate is a servant, a minister of God. So you can see the kind of range in which this is being used, someone who does something on behalf of somebody else, uh, as an agent of somebody else, uh, or as an intermediary in a transaction. The second general means not far from the first one who gets something done at the behest of a superior, an assistant to someone, a servant, someone who does something on behalf of somebody else, who works on behalf of somebody else. We see here that Phoebe was, therefore, a servant or a minister at the church of Crenche. Now, does that mean she had some official office? Was there an office of deacon that she had there and she was the deaconess? Uh, one of the deaconesses, maybe, of the church. We certainly don't know that from this text. It's possible that that's what this means. But we can I think we can take it in more general terms and see that she was a minister, she was a servant, she was the one who labored there in that church. And Paul says, now she's on her way to you, Romans, you Christians in Rome, um, recognize who she is and receive her. Indeed, she is your sister. So there's no question that it's at least a functional word. Diakonos is a word of functioning. She's doing, she's acting, she's she's playing her part on behalf of somebody else. Christ has given her the gift and the calling to minister, to serve in that church, and that's what she's doing. So in faithfulness, Phoebe in faithfulness, and in utility, that is in helping, which we'll see as we get through the second verse as well. In utility, in helping, and in respect, Phoebe was a servant indeed. Now, as we go through, we'll find out a little more and more about Phoebe's service. But listen, ladies, you are servants. You're servants of the church in St. Helens, or Warren, or wherever we are. Uh, your call, just the same as Phoebe, is to do what God's given you to do in your capacities and within the parameters he set down and with your gifts. And Phoebe is a fantastic example, if only mentioned briefly here, but mentioned first. Now, you heard that long line of names I fumbled through, right? There are a lot of people Paul wants to greet and connect and and so on, but he he mentions her first. She's that valuable to Paul and to the church in her own day. She's valuable to the church at Crenshaw, where she's from, but she's also valuable in Rome, where she's going to go and where Paul's going to go. And maybe she'll help him on the way, because she's helped him before. Maybe she'll help him on the way. What a terrific value to the church. Is Phoebe and her faithful service. She doesn't need to be a thundering minister. She doesn't need to be a son of thunder or anything like that. She just needs to do her job to help, and it is a glorious help and service to the ministry of the gospel. As I say, more on that a little bit later. So if Phoebe is this minister, the servant of the church that. That she's off to Rome. She's going to Rome. and Paul's maybe even sending her with the letter. Every single commentary I read mentioned that. She's probably the courier. She's probably the letter of that that comes and takes the letter itself, the Romans, to the church at Rome. Possibly. It's hard to know, but that's certainly what the commentators seem to think. Well, if that's her job, if she's a servant of Christ, the church of Crenshaw, a servant helping Paul, and he's got her you know, commending, to, commending the church of Rome to her, what does the church of Rome have to do? So Phoebe's got her work to do. She has her service. What's the, what's the service and the work of the Church of Rome relative to Phoebe? We see that very quickly. I commend you, our sister Phoebe, a servant of the Church of Crenshaw, that you may welcome her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints and help her in whatever she may need from you. So the first thing is receiving her, or is there are a number of words here, to greet her, to receive her uh, as She comes. And the second thing is to assist her in her work. This is the church's job relative to Phoebe. Phoebe has her own work to do, and the Church of Rome has its work to do as well. Now, Phoebe here is labeled as a sister. Let's see here, Phoebe, our sister, which is interesting because it's the sister mentioned in the New Testament. I'm not sure there's another sister in the singular like this mentioned in the New Testament, though there are a handful of brothers mentioned individually uh, in the New Testament, as well, And it's interesting to read through those and, and see Paul's uh, connection with them. But we have Tychicus, Timothy, Onesimus, Philemon, Epaphroditus, and Titus are all mentioned in the singular as a brother. And here's Phoebe among that, that little list, that tight little list of the movers and shakers and important folks in that first century early Christian church, and Phoebe's on the list. Phoebe's right there. And it's not that she's competing with the big dogs. She is one of the big dogs in her own right. Right? She she is what God has made her in the church, and that's an important sister who is a valuable, valuable service to the church, right along with these other men who themselves are valuable servants of the church. You know, the Christian Christianity of the church isn't isn't a band of brothers, right? It's not a fraternity, a bunch of guys getting together, rah uh, rah, doing guy stuff, neither is it a sorority, a bunch of ladies getting together and foo foo and whatever ladies do. Um, it's both. Right? It's a family in God. It's brothers and sisters in Christ. And brothers and sisters aren't the same. Don't we train our children that way? So you don't treat your sister the same way as you treat your brother. You know, we have different house rules. So Okay, it's alright to beat on your brother a little bit, but you're not going to beat on your sister. They're different, right? So in, in a family, we're not all the same. And Phoebe here is a glorious sister and the one mentioned. And therefore, worthy, I think, ladies and men, of your study, of your emulation. Because we would follow Paul he says, I commend her to you. You can follow her as well. Now, the Church of Rome is, receive, is, is commanded here to receive her and assist her. Receive or welcome her. Okay, so when she comes, maybe bearing this letter or not, uh, but the letter refers to her that they are to receive her in a friendly manner. Now, you can imagine what receiving in a non-friendly manner might be. Like, they don't really care. So here comes Sister Phoebe. I don't care. Uh here comes Sister Phoebe, and I don't like women anyway, or whatever. You can imagine kind of coldness or something might come from the people. He says, no, 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 don't receive her that way. Receive her warmly. Receive her warmly. In fact, receive her as uh, as, as Christians receive. A, man, a manner worthy of the saints to receive this faithful sister in Christ, Jesus. So not impersonal, but with warmth. And let me just take a moment to step aside and say, isn't that how we should receive each other all the time? I mean, life's hard, and we come here sometimes in the Lord's Day or meet each other at other times, and we're way down. Things are hard. Our lives are tough. And that's part of being in the body together is we get to share those burdens. And that's kind of part of the warmth, that we should love one another. And that love should come across as we spend time with one another. And so even as the Church of Rome was to receive warmly Phoebe, so we must receive warmly one another as well. And operate in the Christian fellowship and in love, a manner worthy of the saints. The church was not only to receive her as one of their own and a sister, uh, and and as a servant then of of the church at Crunchy, but it was also to assist her, to help her, to give her what she needs to continue on in the ministry that she has. Whatever her ministry, see below as we keep working through it a little bit, whatever her ministry, the church was to help her out. To receive her and to assist her. To give her what she stands in need of to continue her own labors. Now this is something I think, again, it it's just in the way of receiving one another warmly, should we not also assist one another in the ministries that we have as we serve the Lord together? We often, I think this with our children, or even before I had kids, remembering my neighbor's children, who, when they saw us doing something, say walking in with, or Miley walking in with some groceries, they'd scamper right over and try to help her, right, try to carry the bags for her, things like that, right, they're looking to help, they're looking for an opportunity to help and, and to, to serve that way, and I think that's how the church is to be, looking for opportunities to help and serve, particularly the gospel ministry, and they're, they're, there are different parts of the ministry. There's the upfront, loud preaching, official, uh you know, heralding of Jesus Christ, but there's also the, the ministry we have among each other. We're competent to counsel in Christ Jesus, we love one another and minister Christ to each other. All of this, I think, is is uh, we need to be apt and, and ready to help, looking for the opportunities to help the ministry. So there is an honored ministry here among the church, including women. And we all have different parts of that ministry. So let's seek to receive that from the Lord and help each other in it. And as we're talking maybe about a broader another minister or a missionary or something coming in, that will be another application of the same reality, to receive them warmly and to encourage their ministry. We've done that through the years with Presbyterian Missionary Union or um, you know, other, uh, other missionaries and so on, thinking of Judith Collins as a great example. I was thinking of our, our sisters that were in China for a number of years ministering, uh, and, and I think something similar to what Phoebe is doing, uh, although maybe more gospel direct as far as their particular ministry. We'll see here is a service one, but there's lots of ways. There are lots of ways to serve the gospel by receiving those ministers and by helping them, by assisting them along the way, by spotting what they need, maybe by asking, but certainly by paying attention and meeting those needs this is, this is the church's job. This is the job of the church of Jesus Christ, is to support, receive ministers of the gospel and support them, right, to, to help them in their ministry. And personally, I thank you for that. You've made it possible as a congregation for me to preach the gospel, to herald the word of God to you through the years, and, and to other ministers before that as well. So thank you for that, and continue in the same vein, to put your time, your energy, and more on that later, your, your wealth and health and everything into the gospel ministry. God put you here to support the gospel ministry in this kind of again upfront heralding way, but also in the, the life of the church. So let's receive and let's assist, even as the church at Rome was called to do with Phoebe. Now, Paul gets on, this is our, our last point here, as a patroness or a helper. Uh, he mentions that that's the kind, of, the kind of servant, the kind of minister she was. See, verse 2, that you may welcome her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints, and help her in whatever she may need from you, for she has been a patron of many, and of myself as well. Now this patron, and this, this even word for patron, is not, it's, it's a cognate word, a similar word, but not, we think of, if you know something about maybe Roman culture, uh, Roman society, that there's the, the, there are the patrons, the ones who have the money and influence, and then there are others who come to them and try to serve them, and they'll pay their way, and things like that. There's a formal setup between patron, and I can't think of the name of the people who use the patron, um, but there's a formalized setup within Roman culture that that's kind of how that would go, and that's, that's really not what's going on here. That's, she's not a patroness as far as, you know, a huge bankroll and funding things and helping projects. That's probably not what's going on here, and I don't think that's what the word means. Though she may be a wealthy lady, we can think of another example, Lydia, as a wealthy lady uh who is able to use her powers and skills and wealth to bless the church. But wealth is just one of the powers of helping. There are lots of ways to help um, and serve, and Phoebe, we don't know all of what she had, but we know here that she is a, a patroness, one who, one who helps others out. Now, it doesn't say in our text, that, like I had mentioned before, that she is some daughter of thunder, or leading the sons of men, or an apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, or teacher. Nothing like that stated. That's not what's in the text, and that's not the service we see Phoebe rendering the church, rather we see here as a benefactress or a helper, one in a supportive role. That's what the word means, a helper, one in a supportive role. You're supporting and helping other people. Now, you may think that there's no glory in being a helper. So a helper, I want to be the mover and shaker. Someone else can be the helper. Well, there are people who are meant to be movers and shakers, and God's given them gifts to do that, and uh, particularly official gifts of pastors and so on. But that's not the gift of Phoebe here. Rather, she is a helper. And if being a helper is something you think is minuscule, or maybe beneath you somehow, or it's a humble position, and in some ways maybe it is, but get a load of these. Eve was made to be a helper to Adam. So from the beginning as far as these gender relations or sex relations between men and women, from the beginning, before the fall, God made Adam for a task, and he made Eve for Adam. You can go check out Genesis 2.18 for just that. Right? It's not good that man should be alone, therefore I'll make a helper fit for him. A helper for him. And who's that but Eve, the woman. So we have the man made for the, made for the task, which in this case is taking this... The glory of God and spreading it around the world. And we have Eve made for helping him do that. In Exodus 17, another helper position, though we don't see the ladies doing it, uh, with the Amalekites, when when Moses is, uh, the, the Israelites are fighting the Amalekites, and as, as Moses has his hands raised, the Israelites prosper, and as his hands come down, the Israelites no, do not prosper, and Aaron and her are two helpers of Moses. They help hold up his arms. Right, so that Israel can conquer. Moses has a job to do. Keep those arms up, buddy. It's not easy to do. For five seconds, it's no problem. Right? For 15 minutes, you got a problem. And for however long it takes to fight a battle, you got an even bigger problem. He needs help. It's something as simple as keeping his hands in the air. All it takes is these two men to come on. I'll help you. We get that done. I'll help you do it. And in helping Moses do his job, then Israel is able to do her job in the battle. And in case that weren't enough. The Holy Spirit himself is our helper. So read John 13 through 17, that huge section of Jesus' teaching. And so much of it's about the Holy Spirit, which is the Pericles. One of the meanings of that word is helper. God is our helper. And we read it also in Psalm 121. He is our help. So it's not a minuscule thing. It's not a humble thing to be a helper. It's a necessary component in the work. We need helpers. And so we have a helper here, a patroness, a helper in the person of Phoebe. Just a couple thoughts on how this work goes. What is this helping, kind of patroness sort of work that that Phoebe might be doing? And how can we participate ourselves? How about simply prayers of intercession? How about just our prayers? So if you think of the gospel ministry, whether this ministry or any other kind of gospel ministry where Christ is being proclaimed and made known... Shouldn't you help it by praying for it? Isn't that an an immediate and powerful help to the ministry? Is that you take your time and bow your heart before the Lord and seek God's blessing for the faithfulness of this ministry and others? I can't tell you how much help that is. I can't tell you at all because I don't even know. I just know that it is. And so, intercessory prayer, prayers of intercession, going, taking one another before God. And not just the gospel ministry that too, but one another. Right, our lives in Christ together. This prayer is such an important supportive work. Such an important work of help that you pray for the gospel and pray for one another. How about scheduling time to connect and engage? That's part of our, part of our connection of support and help. If you'd like to help a ministry, you take time to not only pray for them, but to connect and support. Figure out what's there. Figure out what needs are there. By interacting with the people in the ministry directly. So schedule time to connect and engage. Schedule time to pray for your ministers and one another as well, and commit your wealth to the gospel ministry. And by wealth, I don't mean just money. I mean you. All of your skills and powers and energies, all of God has given you, some of that's for the ministry. Some of that should be earmarked and focused on the ministry of Jesus Christ here among the sons of men. Uh, Again, whether that's the local church, I think that's a preeminent spot uh, for tithes, for offerings, for this sort of connection, for prayers, but that's not the only spot. There are lots of ministries that need your prayers, that need your attention, that need your connection with them, and also need your, your wealth, the wealth of your humanity, the wealth of your uh, you as a Christian, which, of course, includes your money as well. So a person's energy, relationships, money, all that gets brought into how we support, how we ourselves pour into these ministries in this supportive role. Phoebe's help. Was to many. We see that at the very end of the verse. He says, she has become a patron or a helper to many and of myself as well. So we see this ministry of Phoebe. You know, she's a a servant there in the church of Crenshaw. And Paul's commending her over to the church of Rome as he himself is planning on going there. Saying, hey, receive her. Help her out as she comes. Because she has been a helper of many. She's the kind of lady who has helped a lot of folks. Do you know anybody like that? I don't know a few sitting in this room that are like that. They've been helped too many. Their, their 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 patronage, right? Their help has spread around to the body of Christ and even beyond. And here's Phoebe like that. She's that kind of woman. She's that kind of servant that people just benefit from her. Being around her is to be around someone who builds you up and who helps you, who encourages you in Christ Jesus. And even the Apostle Paul himself, What a glorious woman. What a glorious ministry. Again, she doesn't have to be a daughter of thunder leading the charge like a Joan of Arc or something like that. She has a spot where she serves. She serves the church. She serves the people. She serves the apostle. And in doing all of that, brothers and sisters, she serves her Lord, Jesus Christ. The way we serve Christ principally is by serving each other. The way we love Christ principally is by loving each other. And the way we worship Christ is by gathering together with one body to worship him. And so we can go forth from here and be his hands and feet, not only in the body, in the church, but in the world as well. Phoebe, I commend to you as a study, not just the ladies, though certainly the ladies, but also the men to figure out how is it right and how do we serve? How can I be a servant? How can I be a minister like Phoebe?
1: Lord, make me a
0: servant like Phoebe. Make me love my Lord Jesus so that I want to support the ministry uh, in all the ways that I can, on all the ways that you've given me that are within the parameters of what God says to do. It wouldn't be faithful service to step outside those parameters, uh, even if you're gifted to do so. There was a campus minister in college. She was a pretty good-looking lady, and she was a powerful preacher, and she could play the guitar really well. I thought, wow, that's like a triple threat right there, you know, Uh, but I remember talking to my friend Mike, he mentioned me the there today. day, some comments I made to him years back that worked on him. Well, he made a comment to me one time, he says, what kind of man would, would it take to be her husband? What kind of faithful Christian man to be her husband and lead her because she was such a leader? She was so powerful in, in, the, in the way she conducted herself, but to the point where she, I think, at least had offices and jobs that a man should have in the Church of Jesus Christ. The reason I mentioned her, I can't even remember her name, though if I did, maybe it would be worth not saying it. The reason I mentioned her is because she was gifted. God had given her gifts to do certain things, but she was operating, I think, out of the realm, out of the parameters that the Bible had laid down for women to minister. That does not honor the Lord. If we take gifts and skills and use them in ways He says that we should not, we should be taking those gifts and skills and looking to put them into ways that He says to do. And options are wide open. The skills and the powers that you ladies have, this is Father's Day, funny enough, the, the, the powers and skills that you ladies have are enormous. And you need to think about putting them to work where God has said to put them to work. And I'm sure you're already thinking about that, but further consider that. And if there's a temptation to step out of that into a place, you know, usurping your husband's authority, or usurping the church's authority, or something like that, you should repent from the thought. You should recognize that as a sinful thing, just like Satan approaching Eve. I think Satan still approaches Eve. I think Satan's been whispering, whispering in Eve's ear here for generations now. But those are lies. That doesn't make any woman who stands up and takes a position or an office that she should not have, according to the scriptures, faithful. Even if she wants to be faithful in it. We all sin in many ways. And we're all blind in many ways. But let us not be blind to this. That there's a glorious ministry of women in the Church of Jesus Christ. There are almost endless ministries Glorious ministries for women in the church of Jesus Christ. Let us follow the scriptures and minister how God says to minister and expect his blessing upon that. Not to make our own with our own skills in our own ways, but to be faithful to what God calls us to, even as Phoebe's help was to many, and even to the very apostle Paul himself. So your ministries must be helpful to many, patronesses of many, including to your pastor and whoever else God puts into your life that you should serve The gospel, the gospel ministry in the Lord Jesus Christ himself. How important is this ministry? It's just as important as the ministry of the Apostle Paul. Her spot and what she's supposed to do is just as important as Paul's spot and what he's supposed to do. Paul just happens to be called to be an apostle. So he's doing that work. Again, that distinction we talked about before is, I'm not building on somebody else's foundation. Someone else can do that. That's not my call. My call is over here. There's that particular call for the Apostle. But then what about just general men and women in the church? Well, we take the scripture in hand, Christians. and We say, God, what should I do? Conduct my service, conduct my ministry so I can honor the Lord Jesus Christ and build up the body of Christ and be a helper, even as Phoebe was a terrific and necessary helper in the first century. So while male and female difficulties have been around from the beginning, and they will be around till the end, That that struggle in in humanity between men and women is there and it will be there. But we also find the answer to that isn't in bringing out our own efforts and trying to, uh, you know, make women like men or say there's no difference and all the kind of goofy stuff that's going on, but rather looking to the one Lord Jesus Christ who has united us together in Him and His redemption, whether it's neither slave nor free, Jew nor Greek, male nor female. But we're all one in Christ Jesus. That's the answer to the dilemma, the problem that humanity has faced. And it's not against, we have the kind of sexual gender issue of male-female, but what about economic and, uh, you know, the divisions of economics and, and politics and class and things like that? He says there's neither slave nor free in Christ Jesus. What about what about the great divides and tensions among races? Anyone, like, come across some racial issues in the last five minutes or just before you walked in the door? Yeah, man, it's, that's, that's hot. Our answer to all of these divisions in humanity is the same Jesus Christ, the one who unites us in him, the one in whom we are one, the one who gave himself for our sins together and whom God raised from the dead on the third day for us men and women, for Jews and Gentiles, for slaves and free. Whatever the divisions we have, those are brought together and healed in Jesus Christ. But it's not like he makes it some, like, asexual mass. say, oh, we're a bunch of asexual beings. And I say, no, you're still men and you're still women. You're still boys and you're still girls. Now, go serve the Lord as a man. Have you paused? Go serve the Lord as women. God calls you to, to serve him in the capacities and in the situation where he's put you. What a glorious thing. What a glorious thing to find what God has put for you to do and do it. May God grant that to us, both young and old. Sometimes as young people, that's a hard thing, trying to find what God's calling us to do, and you kind of wrestle through life, but that happens all the time in life. That happens in middle age, and happens at the end of life as well. May God show us what he's gifted us to do. May we know the parameters of that service, and offer ourselves to God and seek his blessing in that service. Phoebe was a servant, not just of the church of Frenchie, but also to many, and to the apostles. The church's job was to receive her, and assist her in that ministry. And there's a call here for you to glorious ministry in helping those who preach Christ and helping your Christian brothers and sisters who love Christ and are in him because we are all under the one head, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.